It's two o'clock in the morning. You're in bed. You hear the sliding glass door smashed in downstairs, and you hear voices enter your house. Are you prepared to protect your family? We'll talk about that when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Practical Prepping Podcast. We're Tuesday at our Getting Started series, and today's podcast will be dedicated to getting started. With firearms, you know, Mark is actually a member of several prepper groups and forums, and we all read different groups and different forums. Inevitably, the conversation turns to firearms. And here's a typical post along the lines of, okay, I'm a single mother, and I'm seeing where the world is going, and I think I need to buy a gun, but I know nothing about them. Then the recommendations start. I see things like, get a 12-gauge shotgun. You don't have to aim. Get an AR-15 and at least a 1,000 rounds of ammunition. Get a Glock. I love mine. One said, get a Henry Lever action rifle. They're easy to shoot and cheap to load. But yes, there's no consideration of this single mother's overall physique, the size of her hands, or what she wants to do with the firearm. That's true. You know, shotguns and ARs are great guns. They're a lot of fun to shoot, and they're very practical for their intended purpose. But, you know, they really don't conceal all that well. And I see a lot of bad advice for somebody that's wanting to get into firearms, particularly when they're wanting to carry daily. They've begun to see the need to be carrying a firearm daily, and they get recommendations like, Get a Henry Lever Action Rifle. Now, I love a Henry Lever Action Rifle. I love lever actions, and I'm chomping at the bit right now wanting a Henry Lever Action Rifle. They're gorgeous. They are gorgeous. They're not cheap. They are relatively easy to shoot, but that partially depends on the caliber, and they're not all that cheap to load with some of the ammo out there today, especially when you get into something like forty five seventy and you know, I'm not sure I'm big enough to pull the trigger on that. I and mean, you're probably looking at a dollar a round for that. Mark is a bit of a knife nut. He loves a good knife. And that's the very reason that I purchased for him a handcrafted Jim Curtis knife. Because a custom knife seems to have its own personality. It's unlike any of those generic knives you get at a big box store. Mark has a Jim Curtis knife that just screams, look at me, handle me, use me. It is made of Alabama Damascus steel, which holds a razor sharp edge, and it is adorned with a beautiful red, white, and blue micarta handle. I had it built for him special for a Christmas gift last year, and he proudly carries it as an off-duty EDC knife. You can have your Jim Curtis knife built to your design specifications, or you can select one that he's already designed and built, ready to be purchased. 
whichever you choose. It will come with a lifetime guarantee, lifetime sharpening, and two band-aids. Yes, it's just that sharp. Check out Jim Curtis Knives on Facebook at facebook.com slash Knives, or drop him an email at j.curtis7mm at yahoo.com. Both of these links are in our show notes, and we'll also put them on the Practical Prepping website. If you find value in our podcast, would you consider supporting us by buying us a cup of coffee? You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep. Your support helps us keep the podcast up and running, as well as growing. We have a few things in the planning stages, and your support will really help make those things happen. And we thank you so kindly. I grew up shooting. I think I started shooting somewhere around six years old. We started on 22 rifles and a little later, 22 pistols. And it was a family activity for us to go to the church pit on Sunday afternoons. After the 22 rifle, I graduated to a 12-gauge shotgun and began squirrel hunting and dove hunting around 12 years old. And then at around 14, I went to a 30 caliber for deer hunting. Incidentally, my first husband was a federal firearms dealer in the 1990s, mostly to get collectibles, but he gathered several uh, firearms legally, and we shot uh, 9mm semi-autos, rifles, and a big shotgun at my grandmother's rural property. This was important because in the nineteen late 80s and 1990s, I had an aversion to firearms. I was one of those that said, never, never, ever, never. I don't want anything to do with firearms. And so I tentatively agreed to him becoming a federal firearms dealer, not professionally, but just mostly for collectibles. But I will give him credit. He taught me how to overcome my fear of firearms. And in fact, I got to be pretty darn good at it. In fact, I've been known as a pretty darn good shot. You still are. Yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, it. I became aware that I had an unrealistic prejudice against firearms because I was not considering them the way that I should have. And not only do I now appreciate and respect firearms, I am full on to a respect those rights and, you know, hey, let's go shooting. You know, there's really four reasons to own a firearm. I believe those four reasons are for collecting, for sport, for food sourcing, and for defense. So, Mark, why don't you break it down for us? Well, collecting. There are a lot of folks that collect historical firearms or special issues. We mentioned the Henry Lever a while ago. There's a number of lever actions that are the John Wayne model, and you have other historical characters, and these are put out in honor or in memory of them. And they can be quite expensive, but some folks love to collect those historical-type firearms. And then you've got military copies, the AR-15, the M1 Garand. You've got the uh, M1 Carbine. And a lot of folks will collect Western-style firearms. They're a lot of fun, the old single-action six-shooters. Then you've got sport. You know, you can shoot skeet. Although I found it always hard to hit them, and if I do, it's hard to cook them. (laughs) 
but people mm, can get fresh into skeet. Yeah, people <laughs> get into skeet shooting. Uh, people get into competition shooting. There's long distance rifle competitions. There are 22 competitions that especially young folks get into. There's three gun competition, and there's some trick shooting that people like to try to learn to do. And then another thing that happens is reenactment. You see this with a lot of Revolutionary War reenactments or Civil War reenactments. And these guys go all out with their weapons, with their attire. And some of them, they go to the point where they're not allowed to have anything on the battlefield that was not on the battlefield originally with the folks that they're reenacting. Oh, so you've actually got some of these muskets and muzzle loading. Oh, yeah. And very antiquated but period perfect type of firearms. Right. And in Civil War, you had the muzzle loading with the uh, primers on some of them, the percussion caps, and some of them, especially back into the Revolutionary War, those were flintlocks. Oh, my. And so they're folks that collect flintlock rifles mm-hmm. today. And, you know, that's where they said, keep your powder dry. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it had to be dry for that thing to fire. Another good reason or one of the reasons for having firearms is food sourcing. Now, we grew up hunting. We grew up, and I guess I've eaten most every type of game in the southeast that we could bring home. My grandmother would cook. Now, different ones in the family like different things. Some like dove, some like quail, some like rabbit, some like squirrel. But where we grew up, there was plenty of those to be taken. And we would come in and we would go dove hunting in the afternoon after school up in the fields. We'd do the same thing with quail or rabbit. You can hunt medium-sized game, the deer, the caribou, the elk, the antelope, things like that. And then the fourth reason is self-defense and home defense. And we're going to talk about some of that tonight. I think first we're going to get into handguns, which basically divides into revolvers and semi-automatics. You know, revolvers for years and years and years were pretty much the thing. You're usually talking about a capacity of five to nine rounds, depending on the caliber. And these break down into double action or single action. Double action, as the trigger is pulled, the hammer comes back, the cylinder rotates, and when the round is in the right place, it locks up and the hammer falls. And then you release the trigger, pull the trigger again, and it is repeated. Now, single action, you have to cock the hammer before it will fire. You cock that hammer, and the action of cocking the hammer rotates the cylinder. This is the old Western-style pistols. Is this like when they have the top of their hand, they're going plan, 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 plan yes, across the top? and, and she's moving her hand. <laughs> and, you know, a gun I saw f- that in a movie today. In a gunfighter mm-hmm. fashion. Now, single action does not necessarily mean that that's the only way it will fire because most double-action revolvers can be fired single-action. So most revolvers, you can either cock it and fire it, or you can just pull the trigger and fire it. Compare that to the semi-automatic. And I know we're going through some very basic stuff here for some of you, but some folks have not been exposed to any of this, and that's why we're talking about getting started with firearms And we need to understand some of these things. 
Now, the semi-automatics, the magazines are loaded with anywhere 5 to 19 rounds in each magazine, and that magazine is inserted through the hand grip, and then the slide is pulled back to the rear. That cocks the hammer. The slide going forward picks up a round and seats it in the chamber. Now, with your hammer back, you pull the trigger that drops the hammer, the round fires, the recoil repeats the process Automatically, the slide comes back, ejects the spent cartridge or spent case, and as it goes forward, it picks up another one and puts it into place. Now, a good example of this is the old uh, World War II 1911-45. That, that's a single-action semi-automatic. Now, you've also got striker-fired semi-automatics. You've got double-action only. And both of these have a similar process, most with no hammer, and it's a Glock. A Glock falls into this category. They're a striker-fired weapon, and they are double-action only. There's no way to pull the hammer back on a Glock or on any other striker-fired. And then there's a category that combines the two, and that is double-action, single-action. And with this, the hammer can be at rest. You can pull the trigger. It will bring the hammer back, and it will fall on that live round. It fires, and then as the slide comes back to eject the empty case, it cocks the hammer. When it goes forward, it picks up another round, seats it, and now you have a single action. So you fired it double action on your first shot, and now it is single action. And a good example of that is Walther PPK. That's known as the James Bond gun. That's the James Bond gun. But now this was also the Smith 39 and 59, Smith & Wesson 9mm uh, in the Model 39 or the Model 59. And that was very, very popular uh, back in the 90s. Now let's talk about calibers. You want to carry the largest caliber that you can control. You want something larger than a 22, but smaller than a 500, unless you go into grizzly or polar bear territory. Yeah, that's where you definitely want that big 500. And if, if we lived up into polar bear country and grizzly bear country, I'd buy me one of those Smith & Wesson uh, six-shot, I believe it is, 500 and I'd hire somebody else to test fire it and make sure it worked because that's going to be a double handful of gun. Mm. But I think if you're trying to shoot a bear to save your life, you're not going to notice it very much. I believe you're right. Okay. We are talking about defensive guns here. And we're going to talk about some more prepper type guns here in a few minutes. But you mentioned the larger than a 22 and smaller than a 500. Really, for most of us, a minimum defensive caliber is a three eighty. That That's okay. the minimum defensive caliber for most people. Now, let me say right here, if you can't control anything but a twenty two, go with a twenty two. Oh, yeah. We want to make sure that people understand that part of getting started with a firearm is getting the right fit. Mm-hmm. Not every gonna, gun fits every hand. Right. And we're going to talk about that in detail here in a few minutes, but most folks of minimum defensive caliber is 380 or larger. Now, the 9mm is very popular for semi-automatics. It's relatively easy to control, and ammo is readily available again, and the ammo can be rather affordable. 
I'm seeing it for under $20 a box right now for a box of 50, and that, that's very mm-hmm. well doable. Now, the 38357 is a very popular for revolvers. Now, let me explain that when it says 38357. A 357 will fire a 38, but a 38 will not fire a 357. Ooh. And the reason is they're both the same size round, but the 357 is considered the magnum. And it is a longer round and will not completely go into the chamber. The 357 is a much higher pressure round, and the 38s are not built to be able to withstand it. But a 357 will shoot 38s and usually very, very comfortably. Okay, that's good to know. We're going to move over now into long guns, and that breaks down into rifles and shotguns. Rifles first. Rifles fire a single projectile, and they're good for longer ranges. Now, you can buy these in a number of actions. You can get them in a semi-automatic. You can get them in a pump. You can get them in a bolt, a lever action, single shot. Uh, They come in pretty much any variety that you would like, and pretty much for every purpose imaginable. Now, they're a very good hunting option. And the twenty-two we mentioned, we've mentioned it several times. That's great for small game. And a thirty out six is pretty good for any animal in North America. Now there are some things walking around this earth that a thirty out six will make them mad. Yeah, but not in North not America. Not in North yeah. America. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and you're looking at one and you're wanting to do some hunting, you check your country, you look and see. It's kind of like a threat assessment. What could I come up against in the woods? Right. I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, elephants, lions, gorillas, Mm -hmm. tiger, that's not native to North America. Nope. There's a lot of talk about the 223 and the 308, and both of those are available in the AR platform. Now, it's not a bad home defense rifle, but it's a great fighting rifle. The 223 is the AR-15, and the 308 is the AR-10. I don't know why they're backwards, but that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. That 308 is a great defense round, and it is a great hunting round. Mm, okay, so like double duty. It'll do double duty. So that that's rifles. They fire a single projectile. Shotguns can fire a single or multiple projectiles at one time. And when I say single, you're talking about a rifled slug. Imagine a one-ounce piece of lead flying down the range. Mm. That's a chunk of stuff. That'll hit you hard. That, that'll mm-hmm. take down pretty much anything in North America as well. Mm-hmm. But that's really for a shorter range. You're not going to hunt with a, uh, a rifled slug out to 150, 200 yards. Most people can't. And they're really good out 50, 75 yards. And beyond that, you start losing performance and it starts dropping a lot. Now, with buckshot, a lot of folks double alt. Now, that's the size. You can have single alt, double alt, triple alt. And the more alts in there, the smaller the projectile. What's an alt? I don't know what an alt is. It's a zero. Well, yeah, it's it's (laughs) double. But it's not double zero yeah, buckshot, definitely. but it's double alt, and, and it's a form of measurement in that. And so with the 12-gauge, with a double alt buck, you're looking at nine thirty-two caliber projectiles coming out the end of that gun. And one firing? One pulling. 
So that's trigger. why they call it buckshot, because it's right. intended to take down a 12-pointer or something. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'd rather have my 270, but it can be done. And okay. there's been a lot of deer put on the, the ground with buckshot. But then you also shoot birdshot, and this comes in a variety of sizes, things that are good for flying birds like doves or duck. Duck. Mm-hmm. You can have number four for turkey. And again, the smaller the number, the bigger the shot. Now, number four shot is nowhere near buckshot. I mean, it's it's a tiny little bead, but it's bigger than the ones in like eight and nine that are used for birds. Shotgun is pretty good out to about a maximum of 50 yards. Okay. But the shotgun is an excellent defensive weapon. But understand, it's not an alley sweeper. You know, I mentioned a while ago, somebody said, get a 12-gauge because you don't have to aim. Problem with it is it must be aimed, or it should be aimed. And here's why. The approximate spread on double-alt buck after it leaves that barrel, it spreads out approximately one inch for every yard. Wow. So if you're using it for home defense inside of, let's say, a 21-foot room, a living room, dining room, that's seven yards mm-hmm. or a little under seven meters. And that thing is spreading out only about an inch per yard. You've got a seven-inch pattern out there. Yeah. You better be aiming pretty close. Yes, exactly. I mean, you need to at least learn to point shoot that thing. And shotguns, again, come in semi, semi-automatic, pump, double barrel, single shot, and even lever action. I've seen those. And I've never shot a lever action shotgun. Now, when you say lever action, is that like the rifleman, like the TV yes. show? He has that big hand cut out, and he's got that lever down below. And mm-hmm. on the opening credit, you see him walking down the street, and he's going blam, 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 blam with that lever. Right. So that's a lever action. That's a lever action. Now, okay. most of them don't have the big loop. McCain had it in the rifleman. John Wayne had it in a couple of them. But most of them, it is an elongated oval, and it's for your fingers to go through. I see. And so your fingers go through it as you're holding it. When you fire it, you just drop your hand down, pulling the lever down, and pull it back up. And that works all of your action. I see. And cocks the gun as well because a lever action is a single action rifle. You know, you alluded before to... What would be the good firearm choices for the prepper? So I'm going to let you go through all the different styles and types and options of prepper type of firearms for defense or other purposes. Well, we could probably get some fights started with this. <laughs> this is my opinion. And oh, well, no, no only, need to fight. And it only gets you a <laughs> cup of coffee at our house. <laughs> I think the first firearm for any prepper, for anybody, is a defensive handgun. And I believe that, and now I understand people's situations are different, and you need to go with what the laws of your country are. You need to go with what you are able to handle, and we're going to discuss in a few minutes how to find out some of that stuff. But I believe that your first firearm should be a defensive handgun in 380 or larger. And if you get into smaller calibers, 22, 25, 32, they're less defensive. They're less 
I don't want to use the word stopping power, but there's less kinetic energy there. So Mm -hmm. it's a lesser round for defensive purposes. But if all you can handle is a 22, then carry a 22. To be honest, I don't want to be shot by any of them. And you start putting rounds toward people, and that starts to tend to change their mind, which is all you want them to do is to quit doing whatever they were doing to make a shoot at them. Now, after a defensive handgun, I would say second for the well-rounded prepper is a defensive rifle. And that's in the AK, the AR, even a thirty caliber M1 carbine. Now, that's not a long-range gun, but it's pretty good at 100 yards. We have one, and it's a lot of fun to shoot. And there are some pistol-caliber carbines out there. Yeah, let me just pop in here for a moment and tell you that it was with you that I shot my first AR. Mm -hmm. And I was very pleased, delighted even, that it had little to almost no kick. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a 12-gauge shotgun or a 20-gauge shotgun, that's going to pop your shoulder. It will. I mean, it's meant to. And you you know that going in. You fired the 12-gauge pump one time and handed it back to me and said, nope. Yeah, I just... uh, I. I know that I wouldn't be an all-day shooter with a 12-gauge shotgun. And then she shot the AR-15, and she said, give me another magazine. I liked it. It was was a smooth, shooting, very accurate, comfortable training session that we had that day. Now, they're loud. They're definitely loud. loud. You're going to need some ear protection. And they really don't trigger most people. It's not a bad gun for kids. I mean, I've seen six, seven, eight-year-olds shoot an AR. Not a problem. Now, Mm -hmm. I've seen some journalists that were full-grown that got triggered and wound up saying they had PTSD from shooting one. Well, that's their opinion. (laughs) they, they, They went with a closed mind. Oh, yes. Now, we're talking defensive handgun. Because you can carry it with you if you get a permit, do whatever your country or your city requires, your state, and carry that defensive handgun. Then the defensive rifle. And then third, I would say a shotgun. Now, everybody says a 12-gauge. But a 12-gauge, as you mentioned, has got a lot of heavy recoil. Mm-hmm. Now, other thing, and I've seen some folks that say, well, get a youth model. Well, a youth model is smaller, and it is made to fit their shorter hands, their shorter arms, things like that. But here's part of the problem. If you're doing it with a recoil aversion in mind, less weight increases the recoil. Right. Yeah, you're not diminishing the punch back. A heavier gun recalls less than a lighter gun in the same caliber. See, and that's why I'm glad you're breaking this down, because you know these things. Well, I've been been handling guns for years and years and years, and that's why when I'm teaching people to shoot, that after we graduate from the 22 and we go up to 38, I will give them my 6-inch 357 that's rather heavy, to shoot because it's less recoil than handing them a two inch 38. Mm-hmm. So weight works in your favor when it comes to controlling uh, the recoil. That's good to know. And 
the thing about 12 gauge is it is heavy recoil, but you can go to a 20 gauge or a 410 and usually you'll have less recoil, but the ammunition can be somewhat limited. I don't see the amount of 20 gauge and 410 that I used to. And when you do see 410, it's a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. Ammo is up there. It's a lot more expensive. Now, I will mention something that you can put into a 12 gauge, and that is low recoil ammo. We have some that are uh, low recoil, and I've got some back there that I want you to try. And they're really uh, almost half as tall as a regular round. Oh, like a half slug. uh, Yes, and and they're slugs, and it is a lighter a slug in there, but it's made for much, much less recoil. Okay. And the interesting thing is that if a shotgun normally holds, say, five rounds, four in the magazine and one in the chamber, these things are about half the length. So instead of four, you can put about eight in there. Oh, I might and enjoy I, that. I picked up a box of those, and I want to try those as well. Mm-hmm. So running back through this, we're looking at, my opinion here, defensive handgun first, defensive rifle second, shotgun third, and then I would say go with a twenty two caliber rifle. Good old twenty two. Good old twenty two. Been around for many, 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 many years. Uh, a lot of us cut our teeth on those things. They're a lot of fun to shoot. The Ruger ten twenty two is one of the greatest rifles that's ever come out in a reasonably affordable price and there are millions of those things out and just a lot of fun to shoot the ammo's cheap you can carry a box full in your pocket i'm not sure what a box of 50 22s cost right now but when we were kids they cost about 69 cents so Hmm. we would wow we would scrounge up our pennies and get (laughs) us a box of 22s and we'd go to the woods and we'd have fun and then to top everything off I would say a hunting rifle. Okay. And this is bolt action, semi, pump, lever, single action, single shot, the breakover barrel where you put one in, shoot it, and then you have to break it open again like a double barrel. And I've seen, I hunted with someone who purchased one for his wife, and I think it is a Rossi, and it is a youth model, and it's a single barrel. And they come with interchangeable barrels. Neat. So they have a, I think she has a 20-gauge barrel and a 243 barrel. I've seen her put deer on the ground with that single 223. Hmm. And if they want to rabbit hunt or squirrel hunt, she can go with the shotgun. So you can get shotgun rifle combos. I showed you one. We were in a... Uh, gun store the other day and I called you over and there was a double barrel shotgun with a rifle barrel. Yeah, that was very interesting. That was a cool looking gun. You really had three barrels there. And that more commonly, it's a single barrel shotgun and a single barrel rifle. And there were some interesting combinations there. Uh, There was one there that was like a 12 gauge and a 270 or a 12 gauge and a 223. So one rifle can do double duty. Now, it is a single shot, so I'm not suggesting it for home defense, but for hunting purposes, it is a very good rifle. 
Now, there's one other rifle that I want to mention tonight. This is not something that we actually own. If I was still doing a lot of canoeing, I probably would. And that is the AR-7. And it's a 22 caliber. And it was designed for aircraft survival kits. I think it was designed originally for the Air Force pilots' survival kit. Oh, so like if they were... Stranded or shot down shot or something, down, they'd have down. some. Okay, they'd have some way to personally defend themselves. Well, they carry a sidearm anyway. They sure. carry a handgun, but this was a good way to be able to hunt small game. Oh, I see. It would not be their first choice for defense, but for hunting. It would, oh, so it makes a prepper out of them. It well, yeah. <laughs> I think the first one was made by Armalite, and therefore the AR designation. Over time, Armalite's quality dropped in that rifle, Mm. and a lot of other people tried to put one out, and they just never had the success. But now Henry still makes one that is a very high-quality little rifle. It's pretty doggone dependable. And it breaks down, and the barrel goes into the stock, and that thing becomes, what, 20 Two inches long, fits in a backpack very, very well. I think it holds about seven rounds of ammo in it, and it floats. That's just so clever. If I was still canoeing a lot, I would have one of those to carry in the canoe. I can understand that, absolutely. They make a perfect canoe little firearm. Mm -hmm. We want to reach out to our first-timers that are listening on our Getting Started series If you are considering firearms, we definitely want you to get some range time. Go to where they actually have an indoor or an outdoor range with trainers. Yeah, you want an instructor. Now, and I see this all the time on the different social media sites and the different forums, and somebody just starts recommending the guns. Like you were talking about a while ago, I don't know guns. Well, everybody tells you what they like. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, somebody might be telling you, well, you need a flintlock. Mm. Well, yeah, it's it's very, I mean, I know these people are, they're well-meaning at they trying are. to give advice, but they don't know the individual. They don't have any way of understanding that a firearm is a very personal mm-hmm. purchase. And it's almost a tailor-made type of thing. And Tailor-made, so, yeah. that that's a, a good, it's definitely tailor-fitted. Mm-hmm. And you need to go to a range where there is someone there that can instruct you. And I would say just sit down with them, with that instructor, and have a heart-to-heart talk for a few minutes and say, this is who I am, this is where I am, this is what I'm looking at. Now, can you give me some suggestions? And you want a range where you can rent those suggestions. Right, because they'll allow you to try out the fit and feel of the firearm in your hand or on your shoulder. or However, if you're doing a handgun or a long gun, you're going to want to listen to their expert advice, and they'll give you a lot of latitude and a lot of time to uh, try them out. You're you're going to like some and some you're not going to like, and that's yeah. okay. And they're going to sell you the ammo and let you shoot that gun. I mean, they rent it to you, and it's like 10 bucks or something most mm-hmm. places. And so you get an opportunity to try some things out. And I know when Krista was really first starting to look at carrying a firearm on a regular basis, I borrowed a number of firearms from friends that 
we did not have, and we took them all to the range, and we started shooting them. And some of them you fired once and handed it back to me and said, nope. A couple of them you fired twice and said, nope. And then finally you found one you settled down with and said, I like this. Mm -hmm. And so if you like a gun, you're going to be able to use it better. You're going to be more confident with it when you get enough training. And there's a lot of training out there available. I'll say this, the firearms carry class that your state may require, that's familiarization. That is not training. We had 21 minutes of actual shooting and eight hours of Mm -hmm. written classwork, and it was valuable, and I'm glad that I went through it, but that in no way prepared me for the ongoing training that I needed on go and I still need more training and more practice we all need more training and more practice and we're talking things about drills that you will do malfunction drills how do you clear a malfunction on a semi-automatic weapon and it's simple once you see it once you've been taught it it's uh tap rack and shoot so Mm -hmm. uh you know there are just some drills that you will do there and I think I've done that with you I think that I have loaded an empty cartridge into your magazine and then put one, two, or three live rounds on top of that. And so when you get down to where it doesn't fire, you have to clear it. Right. And also, they'll train you on the care, maintenance, cleaning, and keeping of that firearm Mm -hmm. as well. Can't stress it enough. A a happy gun is a clean gun. If you don't take care of your gun, it may fail when you need it. All right, anything that you can think of that we haven't covered tonight, need to cover? Well, we just hope that you'll shoot us Uh, an email. (laughs) Yeah, I was waiting for that. We're so appreciative of all of our listeners that tune in, and we enjoy doing this for you, and we have much more to come in the days and weeks to follow. So we're excited about spring coming. The days are getting longer, and I'm happy about that. And I say that that means we're going to get out on the range a little bit more, and we're going to get some bullets fired. We are. And I found out something about the range over here. We were talking about renting. And you can rent this. They'll sell you the ammo, and they'll rent you the weapon. Have you ever fired a fully automatic? I never have. They're a lot of fun. Seriously? And they're expensive to feed, wow. but they're a lot of fun. So a fully we might, automatic. Yes. We may look into that when we go over there next time and let you shoot uh, M16, M4, something like Holy that. Holy moly. Oh, well, we'll definitely have to reveal that experience on a future podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, we do appreciate you being here, and we'll see you next time. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.